and welcome to Automotive EE Systems Revolution, a brand new series of podcasts from the Integrated Electrical Systems Group of Siemens Digital Industry Software. In this series, we'll be focusing on automotive industry trends and the electrical and electronic systems, networks, and software within a vehicle in particular. My name is Connor Pike, and I'll be your host and moderator as we dive into this fascinating topic. But first, let's meet the duo of experts that will be joining me in this series. My name is Doug Bersicki. I'm responsible for the automotive and transportation and heavy equipment industries within integrated electrical systems, part of the digital industry software organization within Siemens. I'm Dan Scott. I'm also from the integrated electrical systems segment. Uh, I'm the marketing director. Previous background, I've worked in the automotive industry for 15 years or so um, in a variety of different roles from chief engineer to sales to project management, working for a variety of suppliers, tier ones and OEMs. Doug and Dan are both the owners of impressive resumes and decades of industry experience. Throughout this series, I will do my best to tap into their expertise to illuminate current trends in the automotive industry, including the development of advanced EE systems. To begin today's discussion, I asked Doug and Dan to describe the state of the industry today and what's driving innovation. Yeah, that's uh, obviously a, a very large question. I guess one one way to start is just to look at the headlines, some of the things that we see and hear about every day. We know that there's been a tremendous amount of focus from players traditionally not part of the automotive industry over the past 10 years have been uh, investing in and moving into the market, challenging the incumbents and the legacy OEMs, both from a traditional model perspective or business model perspective, as far as putting competitive product out on the market, but they've also introduced a new approach to the business models and an expansion of the business models, so to speak. They found new ways to generate revenue and profits that go beyond the, the traditional sale of a vehicle to a consumer. They've developed ways to try to monetize that hardware after the point of sale, much to the same uh, extent of a business model as you would see with a, a mobile phone or the mobile phone industry that's evolved over the last 10 to 15 years, where most of those companies make their money on apps and software sales uh, after the hardware, the phone itself is sold to the consumer. And you're seeing uh, automobile turning into that type of uh, product in the marketplace today. Yeah. And from my perspective, I think it's been, like Doug was saying, it's been quite an unprecedented last sort of decade or two in the automotive industry, I think. Just that shift of we've had sort of 70 or 80 years of, of kind of predominantly mechanical sort of machines, whether that's hydraulics or, or mechanical. And just, you know, over the last sort of, well, I guess from, even from, say, sort of early 90s where you're getting ABS braking and things coming in, it's a beginning increase. And certainly over the last sort of 15 to 10, 10 years or so, just a real acceleration in, in kind of double E systems and electronics and software coming into the vehicle, which is you know, is is really kind of driving some of the stuff Doug's talking about, the, the, some of those changes and, and shifts in business models and, and that, that kind of whole landscape that's enabled new entrants to come in, new players into the industry from, from areas that, you, you know, 20 years ago, we would never have considered you'd be having companies coming in from traditional sort of software backgrounds. Yeah, see, those observations are very accurate with uh, – you know, what we see every day. And we see, we hear headlines about all these, um, for lack of a better term, sexy trends, things like uh, autonomous vehicles. You know, it's the holy grail, if you would, in the auto industry right now to have the first truly level five capable system developed out there. 
And we're years away from that for a multitude of reasons, but the ultimate objective is is no different. But there's a lot of steps in between that we're going to get to on the way, such as a greater proliferation of ADAS systems that enable the users of the vehicles to drive more effectively, efficiently, and quite honestly, just safer, both for themselves as well as pedestrians on the street. And those advances in technology are needed to hit those interim milestones along the way. And as Dan said, there's been a gradual and consistent migration from mechanical to electrical and electronic, and now we're moving into a software-defined vehicle era. It's a much different environment than these OEMs that have existed in many cases for well over 100 years, where they're developing the traditional vehicles that we've been driving for decades, as well as trying to develop the capabilities to meet these new entrants into the market that they have to compete with. So they have to adapt. And it's not just technology. It's the way they're structured. It's the skill sets they hire. It's how they develop the product. It's the validation and timing of their development activities across multiple domains that all have to be managed in a much different manner if they're going to bring together what's essentially a holistic vehicle environment if you're going to attain these levels of ADAS and autonomy. Not to mention just even a more fundamental aspect of these vehicles, which is the electrification of the vehicle itself, the moving away from combustion engine designs or hybrid engines into 100% BEV architecture or rechargeable architecture that um, drives different vehicle configurations. And it's it's electrical, it's mechanical, it's software, it's the network in the vehicle itself. They're all interrelated and interdependent. And that's where Siemens has something to offer and contribute to this evolution of the industry. Siemens has spent a lot of time, money, and uh, effort in integrating different cross-functional capabilities that, quite honestly, don't exist in any other company in the world to the extent that we offer them. So overall, we have an industry that is experiencing a lot of change and is revolutionizing in in many ways, as you mentioned, Doug. I'm curious if we could dive into kind of the the path that has led us here, the changes that have occurred over the last maybe 10 years or however far back we need to go. But I suppose in particular, we've talked about this steady transition from mechanical to electrical and electronics, and now we're switching into software-defined vehicles. Curious to get your guys' comments on on that transition and how that's kind of set up where the industry is and where it's going today. I think it's an interesting one. If you look at it even from, not just from a technology point of view, but from an organizational point of view, where you have, you know, existing incumbent OEMs coming from predominantly, not just exclusively, but predominantly from that mechanical background and, and electrical maybe, and needing to make that shift into into software, into networks, into, you know, caring more about the sort of details of the electronics, about the ICs and about, you know, some of those things, which historically has been very much pushed out to tier ones or tier two suppliers. I think what's, what that's causing is a, a massive sort of re-examining for, for traditional OEMs of, of their core competencies and where they can really add value. I think it's, it's interesting when you kind of compare them to, to startups or to, to new entrants who, who've kind of come in sort of with natively more software skills. They're coming in and, you know, and, and are kind of used to the sort of rapid development cycles and the sort of agile processes and, and ways of iterating. But they're kind of coming up and hitting against, you know, even like companies like Tesla, you know, hitting against when you get into manufacturing vehicles in large numbers, 
there's a whole load of IP and, and skill and knowledge and experience that goes around that and actually getting vehicles homologated and into production that, you know, a second nature and, and well-established and developed for, for existing automotive OEMs that, you know, startups are having to, to sort of, yeah, butt up against and, and get products into, into the market. Whereas obviously on the flip side for, for the traditional OEMs, they kind of know that stuff, but that shift from sort of the longer cycles of product development into, like Doug was just saying before, you know, into those sort of much faster iterations of sort of over-the-air updates and functionality being pushed out to vehicles post-production. I think those are some of the both cultural and skills challenges that, that the automotive industry is you know, continuing to really grapple with, to be honest, in, in terms of how do they kind of manage that? Do they set up separate business units of just the software guys? Do they try and integrate them into existing sort of product teams? How do they kind of manage that in a way that enables all of the different sort of uh, domains that need to integrate and talk together to actually produce these super complicated vehicles with, you know, networks, embedded software, electrical, mechanical, hydraulics, everything that needs to come together into one integrated package to deliver the, the features, the functionality that, that customers are looking for. I think they're they're super hard questions and, and things which which organizations are grappling with at the moment. All these things boil down to uh, the business, right? The, at the end of the day, all of these companies, you know, aside from the, the the cars and the technology, they have to be profitable. They have to make money. They have to return profits to their shareholders. So there's business challenges that they struggle with, and I, my experience is, has seen that in the last ten years the the increasing levels of complexity are one of the biggest challenges for any of these companies, no matter what size they are or not. And it's different types of complexity. You have sheer part number complexity where you have vehicle variants that could have literally millions of part number combinations, depending on which feature comp options the consumer desires on that vehicle. You also have complexity of subsystem integration. You know, an example of that is an active cruise control system was essentially an integration of multiple systems before there was just a cruise control system, right? And all it monitored was your vehicle, not anything around it. Then obviously an active cruise control system integrates additional sensors and sensor fusion and, and analysis. And then it actually acts on that uh, that analyzed data input. So now you have uh, an inter interactive system. And then you start integrating these systems further to come up with safety packages, you know, that, that are cross-functional with lane departure warning systems, auto parking systems, a concierge systems or valet systems. So there's, there's an inner increasing level of interoperability and subsystem functionality that didn't exist just five years ago. And those engineering teams, the tools that they work on are different. They don't communicate to each other. You have engineers and groups that hand off data to other engineers and groups uh, that they didn't have to use to even consider in the past. And they don't communicate and talk and they're not organized to operate in that fashion historically. So they have to go through a business process transformation as well as an organizational transformation. So a lot of these challenges manifest themselves in different ways. It's not just the complexity, right, that you have to address. It's your organization in order to address the complexity. So it goes back to the point that Dan was making about those challenges are not just in tools or process. You know, and that integration is becoming more and more and more of a, a top five concern for any engineering leader in these, these companies. Again, because the speed of change, historically, we haven't developed engineering teams that 
if you were a hardware engineer, you didn't really care about the software or the network that the device that you were designing connected or interfaced to. But those days are gone where uh, these companies are trying to make holistic design decisions because there are trade-offs, there are impacts. The lines of code, the, co- the software you write has a direct impact on the physical EDS or wiring implementation, which has a direct impact on weight, which has a direct impact on vehicle range. So these things are all intertwined and they can't be developed independently in silos. And I would say probably the single biggest challenge that all of these companies face, and it's because they have to balance, they can always do things faster, but then it means with less quality or reliability. And that's to speed to market, just development speed and turnaround. There's a continuous effort to shorten development time to get the automobile products more in line with consumer electronics and the, the content that is driving the connectivity, the connected aspect of the vehicles, which consumers to them is one of the number one priorities when they make a purchase these days, at least in the, the younger generations and the future buyers of these vehicles that the OEMs are concerned about. It's again, you know, when you put the power and might and experience from a, an OEM that's been building real world cars for a hundred years and they apply themselves to these greater initiatives technology wise, I think you'll see some of them close the gap relatively quickly on where some of the new entrants are. So. There's been a lot going on in the last 10 years, but I think the next 10 years are going to be even more exciting, personally. Yeah, so that's an interesting direction, I think, that we could take take our discussion is, what do the next 10 years look like? And maybe a few things I'd like you guys to discuss in particular is, Doug, you mentioned legacy OEMs being at a crossroads, perhaps, uh, at a point of where they need to start transitioning to meet these new demands for connectivity and you know technology and um automation, all these types of things. Where do you see the next 10 years of this industry moving? The the next 10 years is really going to be about execution. I think a lot of companies have been developing strategies and putting some pieces together, whether, like I said, they've developed internal groups or capabilities or carved out teams to focus on new and emerging areas of focus or acquired entities. You know, like GM acquired cruise automation years ago to to get a head start on autonomous vehicle technologies. And they've applied aspects of that to their core business, but they've essentially run it as a separate standalone entity for the most part. And they recently invested in Nikola Trucks. They're going to license their battery cell technology to Nikola, and they're also going to actually produce the physical vehicles for them themselves. So you see these different business models or different approaches to business that you wouldn't have historically seen. Arivian is another good example. Their business model from day one was to develop their own vehicle, but also to develop on a platform that they would license technology out to, to competitors or other players in the industry. You know, they've been very successful in doing that with multiple OEMs. Ford, Rivian, and Cox Automotive are very heavily invested in them. And, and now they have a uh, other burgeoning relationships with other OEMs to supply them with uh, EV powertrains. So there's different models out there that are working and then they're being uh, evaluated and recognized. I think for the legacy OEMs, like I said before, they're, they are responding to these challenges, right? But they can't just walk away from their current core business. So it's really, really challenging for them because they're still trying to develop that portfolio of vehicles that they've been supporting for decades. Uh, and 
you can't just flip a switch and change everything to an electrified vehicle powertrain or an autonomous vehicle, right? It takes years and years of, of development and uh, concerted effort and expense. And the problem is, is the return on some of that investment is quite a ways away, right? So it's hard for them to justify pouring all of that focus and, and investment into areas where they don't see the monetary return for, for years, if not decades. So they've been a little bit slower about it because they've had to be. They've had to be more measured in their successes and their risks. But you're seeing that they're making the, those hard shifts. Uh, Mercedes has already made a hard commitment to be a fully uh, electrified portfolio of products. Volvo has done the same. GM is on a path to do the same. So you're seeing that that shift and those decisions are taking place. I think that the the OEMs are in a race. I, I think that they all know that the only way to get there is through significant investment. And a large part of that investment is in their electrical architectures. So if you look at where EVs have been over the last 20 years, you know, they've been like kind of a, a fringe commodity or actually not a commodity, just like a, almost like a toy or a neat thing to have for certain segments of the consumers, but very small segments. And part of it's just because they've been ugly. They haven't been attractive vehicles at all. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that they've been built on vehicle chassis and frames and architectures that were originally designed for internal combustion engines. So packaging wasn't right, you know, it wasn't great uh, for the, the the battery technology wasn't where it needed to be to optimize packaging available. You know, there's just been a tremendous amount of advancements in the area that have gotten to the point to where OEMs have very cost-effectively built bespoke architectures around EV intended vehicles from day one, not retrofitted vehicles. And now you're seeing a generation of vehicles that are beautiful, they're fun to drive, they're attractive, they're some of the most attractive vehicles on the market in some cases, and people want to buy them for for compelling reasons now. And the business proposition behind EVs is becoming much more attainable for the average consumer as well. And so now we're getting to the point to where the the big players in the industry are committing to economies of scale, in many cases like GM and Tesla developing their own battery plants. So you're going to see the economies of scale come into play now, and it will become a more accessible, more affordable option for the the everyday consumer. So that is where I think we're going to see the greatest technology evolution in the auto space over the next 10 years. And I think in parallel behind the scenes will be the continuous involvement of AV. But I think what's really going to drive the AV is the level two, three, and to a certain extent, four capabilities. And a large part of that's just driven by the legal requirements by out of Europe with the NCAP requirements, a lot of things that are optional features in North America from a safety perspective are going to become de facto uh, standard features on every vehicle sold in Europe. So again, that's just going to make these things more accessible and affordable. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? I think Doug's right in terms of certainly the comments around the acceleration of movement to to electric vehicles. Yeah, I've I've definitely seen a similar backing off isn't the right word, but um, maybe a sort of deprioritization of, of some of those level four, level five EV, AV, sort of push for autonomous vehicles. Although it was interesting, I was reading yesterday actually, and the German government, I think it was Angela Merkel herself, who was kind of making comments on a proposal where they're going to allow level four or five vehicles uh, to be tested in Germany uh, is going to get put into to German law. 
sometime in the next 12 months or proposed for that. Again, it's interesting, like in in the same in like kind of California, you get like different pockets. And I guess that's what's hard kind of commenting on automotive as a whole is that there's very, very different emphases in different regions. So like in China, there's, you know, massive electric vehicle market relatively in the US, slightly less so in Norway, huge in the UK, relatively small. So I, th- I think it's going to be very. Um, there's going to be. It's going to be quite a lot of localization in terms of some of these trends for like electric vehicle or autonomy or, or what have you. I do think one of the things Doug was saying just before as well around around that sort of move to virtual validation, and it's a bit more on the kind of process side rather than the sort of business business approach. But I think that the, the sort of pain that that organisations feel when they hit those sort of integration points is is very real. I think as this level of complexity in vehicles is is really exploded, it's become more obvious that that's a pain point. I mean, I I remember even from my days when I was um, a control software engineer and we'd get into or I'd get into a prototype vehicle that we'd just written some software for. And, you know, you're kind of turning on hoping that I made the same assumptions about the way the network signals were scaled as the network design guys did or the electrical guys made about the Ethernet or CAN networks or what have you. And just, you know, that level of, of, of integration when you've got, you know, batteries and you've got power electronics and you've got high-speed motors and you've got layered on top of that all of the autonomous stuff in terms of you know lidar and radar and all of these different technologies and that the amount of data massively increasing keeping organizations aligned and keeping development processes for these sort of parallel domains aligned has got to be coming over the next 10 years to be one of the highest priorities for for development organizations to really get products to market not even just quickly, but just get them to market in a way that they're reliable and robust and you're not having massive warranty issues because of, yeah, because of challenges. And you're able to kind of test vehicles and get a higher level of confidence much, much earlier in the development process. And I, you know, I know every organization is is really trying to push towards that. And I think the ones that will, will really succeed are the ones that are more able to coordinate between these different development streams, whether that's electrical, software, mechanical, what have you. And, you know, and that is a lot of that is around having tools and processes and underlying sort of data that can be exchanged, that can be integrated, that can be used together. And so people are not working off their their own separate assumptions, but there's a common approach to things. There's a greater coherency in terms of how, products are developed people are able to get a snapshot across multiple domains rather than just their own particular little silo that they're looking at so i think these all these technology trends dogs kind of mentioning these sort of high level things are kind of really driving shifts in in organizations and the ones that can can adapt to those best i think and will succeed and i think that's been you know even you know as we kind of speak to to our customers around the world that's what we're seeing, you know, as you see the different levels of maturity in, in this, in product development for the, for different organizations, you see the ones kind of succeeding that are more able to, to embrace digitalization and, and some of these other things that, that is changing the way they develop products. So the automotive industry is in the middle of a major shift. The electrical, electronic, and software content of vehicles continues to grow. 
both incentivizing and necessitating new organizational structures and business models. At the same time, the level of competition is increasing as startups, tech companies, and traditional OEMs all vie to bring innovative vehicles to market. In episode two, Doug, Dan, and myself will continue our discussion and consider some of the impacts that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the automotive industry. Once again, this has been Automotive EE Systems Revolution. I'm your host, Connor Pike, and I'd like to thank you very much for listening.